Welcome back to the Free by Design podcast. I'm your host, Evan Williams, and this is episode 21. So often, we censor ourselves from talking about certain topics because they're not commonly discussed. One thing that I've learned is that just because something is uncommon or unconventional, it doesn't mean that it's inherently bad. On the contrary, when I go against convention, I often feel like I'm rewarded. The process ends up being extremely cathartic. When we stifle ourselves from discussing certain topics, we're forcing ourselves into an unnatural state. One topic, the topic I'm going to discuss on today's episode, is loneliness. Why do we feel like we can't talk about feeling loneliness? Is it a pride issue? Do we feel that we'll be seen as weak or defective in some way? Do we feel ashamed of our feelings? Or do we just not know how to start the conversation? Whatever it is, it creates a lot of negative energy in our lives when we bottle up how we feel. In this case, bottling up the feeling of loneliness will only isolate you even more and make the feeling worse. I feel loneliness at times. It's okay. It's normal. And it's safe to admit it. And it's healthy and necessary sometimes to discuss it. So... I'm going to face this topic head-on on this episode. Let's try to understand loneliness a little better first. There are a lot of sensational articles that I've come across that say there's a causal relationship between technology and the rate of loneliness. They basically are saying that as technology becomes more widespread, so too does loneliness. They suggest that despite being so incredibly connected with technology and social media, we are, as a whole, much lonelier, particularly young adults. I've read other studies that actually go against this idea. I'm going to reference an academic article from September 2019 by Daniel Cox. It's called A Loneliness Epidemic, How Marriage, Religion, and mobility explain the generation gap in loneliness. It states, the higher levels of loneliness among millennials as compared to boomers vanish when we account for millennials who are married, religiously active, and geographically rooted. These factors reduce loneliness for millennials because they typically reduce loneliness in general. In other words, SCS data, that's data from the American Enterprise Institute's survey on community and society, which is a mouthful. (laughs) That data shows nothing particularly unique about the experience of loneliness among young adults today. They are lonelier in general than older people because most of them are not as rooted in a particular relationships and communities. This is really interesting to me, as particularly an atheist, who works remote, and moves about six times a year. (laughs) According to this study, I am a prime candidate for loneliness. And I do experience periods of loneliness. But these periods are temporary. It's never chronic or acute in any way. 
Regardless, though, this lifestyle can definitely get lonely. But there are some very logical ways to combat loneliness. Remote work and nomadic life does make it difficult to build meaningful relationships and have a sense of community. Many people I meet are about to move on to another destination. It's kind of like death by a thousand cuts when you meet so many amazing people and then they leave, or then you leave. It's still an amazing lifestyle. I'm really grateful and fortunate to be able to live like this. But this is the reality of the lifestyle. Like anything else, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's because of this that I've begun, I've begun to travel a lot more slowly. Well, that, and I want to use less transportation for sustainability purposes. Traveling more slowly allows you to get more involved in the communities where you are and also contribute to them, which is really important. To live, you need to give. Becoming involved in the community by giving allows you to feel true, genuine happiness and really come alive. This is a great antidote for loneliness, and it allows you to build a better understanding of the culture of the place that you're in. It's a win-win. I want to talk more about my experience with the lifestyle and loneliness. So I'm 34 years old and I'm single. For all of my 20s, I didn't want kids. I don't know why. But I got into my 30s and something changed. I now have that innate and inexplicable feeling that I want to have kids. So let's add some good old fashioned healthy pressure onto the situation, why don't we? <laughs> when measured against conventional standards, my lifestyle is just not conducive to what would be described as husband or father material. Luckily though, I'm not one to measure myself against what is conventional. In any way, if I were to change the way I live, it would be disingenuous. This life is truly how I want to live in this moment. Doing anything different would be dishonest. And a, re a relationship that would grow out of that would be emotionally toxic and destined to fail. I won't subject another person to that or myself. To make dealing with loneliness even more challenging, I generally find it difficult to build friendships and get into intimate relationships. In all of my current and past relationships, I've needed a whole lot of time before I could really open up to new people and even allow the relationship to develop and grow. This is especially the case with intimate relationships for me. This definitely inhibits the number of friendships and intimate relationships that I've had. But when I do get to this point with somebody, the bond tends to be deeper and stronger. I do very much prefer having fewer strong relationships in my life as opposed to many superficial relationships. I think it's because I'm an introvert by nature, so I find it difficult to focus on many different relationships. I also enjoy committing a whole lot of energy to my relationships, so I'm really better suited to having just a few stronger relationships in my life. Maybe this is why I naturally gravitate towards minimalism. It's easier for me to focus on fewer possessions. It's interesting. I suppose I'm a minimalist with my relationships as well, then. 
This is all making so much sense now. <laughs> I'm also from the United States, and culturally speaking, we tend to be more private and reserved. I feel that it's particularly a product of the infrastructure. So a little bit of history. Around 1950, there was a massive move from cities to suburban areas in the United States. The typical suburban infrastructure promotes seclusion in a lot of different ways. I grew up in this environment, and as a result, I'm more private and guarded. This all may come as a, as a surprise as I freely open up and share my thoughts and feelings every week on this podcast. It's all just proof that we're dynamic and we can change if we have the desire to change. Also, as is the case with most people, I've had challenging moments in past relationships. This has made me even more reluctant to be vulnerable again with new people. This further inhibits the ease of starting new relationships for me and is something that I know I need to explore more in order to overcome it and grow from it. To make matters even worse, I don't drink alcohol and I hate bars. <laughs> they just drain my energy. I much prefer being in healthier environments that build up my energy like parks, cafes, or just being out in nature. The point is that I hardly ever put myself into the more conventional social situations, like being at bars. I also maintain the waking hours of an 80-year-old man. <laughs> I'm happiest when I'm in bed by 9 p.m., asleep by, eight, uh, by 10, and up by 5 a.m., all of this culminates in me having been single for quite some time now. As a result, internal pressure builds from time to time to follow a more conventional life. But as I said before, this would be an inherently dishonest way of living for me. It's no way to start a relationship. Also, the idea of it just doesn't make my heart flutter. So I really can't compromise. To keep this episode from turning into a complete wine session about my love life, I'm going to pivot the conversation now to discuss some proactive steps that you can take to combat loneliness. Particularly when leading a nomadic life in particular, but these steps could be used with any lifestyle. Before discussing proactive steps though, I want to quickly talk about triggers for loneliness. For me, I notice when I'm not feeling well, I become lonely and homesick. There's something about being ill that makes you feel even more vulnerable and alone. Also, I've noticed that the week before I travel to a new destination and the week after I arrive, I always become lonely. It's really interesting to me. And another trigger that's much more common is when I'm away from family around the holidays. I've been typically away from family around the holidays, off and on for about the last seven years. And I'll tell you, it doesn't get any easier every year. So those are my main triggers. This is where the proactive steps come in. Knowing what my basic triggers are, I'm much better prepared to handle the loneliness. I now take proactive steps to address the loneliness before it even happens. So what are the proactive steps that I take? This is going to sound silly, 
but it's both effective and very easy. I smile more. Even if it's forced, smiling has a way of tricking your emotions and manifesting happiness. I also find that when I have even a fake smile on my face, I'll fool some people on the street and receive a smile back. Then I end up having a legitimate smile on my face and the momentum builds like a snowball. Another proactive step is giving. As a minimalist, I don't have a lot of physical things to give, but I have something that's much more precious, my time and my energy. The other day, for example, I was walking to the co-working space and I saw a man and a boy struggling to push a motorcycle up a ramp into an elevated garage. There were cars backing up on the street, people started honking, it was turning into a real scene. I ran over, jumped on the one side and helped them get the motorcycle up the steep incline. They were so grateful, people in the cars were able to move on finally, and I carried the positive vibes with me all day long. It's a beautiful thing. Go out of your way to help others. Regardless of how you may be feeling, it's just a good thing to do. I talk about the next proactive step quite a bit. It's time in nature. If I feel lonely, I'll self-prescribe myself a bit of time in nature. I almost never return from nature feeling down. If you never tried this before, then you really should. I'll just go for a hike with a friend or even alone. The positive effects are the same. Also, on exercise and activity, I've recently fallen in love with acro yoga. This always turns my mood around if I'm feeling lonely or down. It's amazing because not only is it exercise, but it's social as well because you need multiple people to do it. For me, it's like playtime for adults. I always end up feeling like a kid again after acro yoga. It's also a, a really great way to find your community. You meet a lot of great people. In the past two years, I've also started using Facebook groups and co-working spaces a lot more. I join the Facebook groups and the co-working spaces in the new places that I visit. They're a great way to meet new people, feel a sense of community, and increase your daily human interaction. So on the topic of human interaction, hug more people. This is such a great way to combat loneliness. It's also another example of something that I'm not culturally accustomed to doing. But I'm getting better at it. For example, I love my friends, but for some reason, I would never hug them when I was growing up in the United States. It's just not something that we did. Now that I've been living in different cultures where it's more common, I see it all around me. I've embraced it, pun intended, <laughs> and it feels great, to be honest. If you love your friend, then hug them. I mean, who doesn't love a hug? And what's great about all of this is that other than the co-working space, this is all free. No need to buy medicine to synthetically alter your emotions. In closing, I really hope to inspire others to have open conversations about these topics and the, the topics that are often regarded as sensitive or taboo. It's okay that you're feeling however you're feeling. Find someone to talk to about how you're feeling right now. It'll be scary at first, 
Believe me, I know. I'm chatting about it on a podcast right now. But it's very likely that you'll find someone who has felt the same way before and can relate to you. You'll likely break the ice with the other person's apprehensions about the topic as well. And they'll probably have a unique and helpful perspective to share with you. When I've been approached in the past by others uh, who want to talk about and discuss a sensitive issue or feeling, I personally end up learning so much from the conversation as well. I get a sense of purpose and fulfillment as I'm able to provide support to another person. I love that feeling. It's a beautiful opportunity. So don't be afraid to give someone else that same opportunity to hear you, to provide support to you, and to get that amazing sense of fulfillment. And as always, keep cutting the noise and make room for what's essential. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please follow or subscribe to my podcast. Please also comment or leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram under Free by Design channel. 